0: This episode is brought to you in part by the Geek Therapy Merch Store on TeePublic. Our store features exclusive designs, podcast merch, and some of our favorite designs from around TeePublic. Check it out by visiting geektherapy.com slash store. Welcome to GT Radio on the Geek Therapy Network. My name is Josue Cardona with Ali Matu. Good afternoon. Lara Taylor. Hey. And Lauren Keller. Hello. Got an announcement before we get started. Uh, so we're expanding the network, and I think that now, like, it's going to be a thing. Every, for, for the next few weeks, I'll be announcing a new member of the network every week. And uh, last week, I talked about a, a new blog, Video Game Saved My Life, by Johnny Goodman. This week, I'm announcing a podcast. So, I would like to welcome to the Geek Therapy Network, Starship Therapize. What? Okay? Yes, Woo. by two members of the community, uh, Justine Nassin, Larissa Garski. They're both LMFTs. It's a very geeky show where I don't want to uh, say this incorrectly, but I'm almost certain that they're kind of playing a character. Like Larissa's pretty much a Vulcan on the show. Right. Uh, like she's playing in character. It's, it, you got to listen to it. <laughs> but uh, it's, a, it's it's got uh, two ladies on the show. So uh, hooray for that more female voices on the network and it's a very good example of you know what therapists are people too it's very geeky very cool and once you see the cover you'll see that it's like a couch but it looks like a starship it's pretty cool stuff
1: you'll wait see. so is so, it like rpg meets star trek meets therapy with a vulcan kind of yeah yeah that sounds i don't i don't, I don't awesome
0: i don't think that's a misrepresentation i'm, I'm pretty sure <laughs> that's that a. Uh, That that's one way to describe it.
1: (laughs) Is is the Vulcan character using cognitive therapy? Because I'm guessing that would be their theoretical orientation. So
0: there isn't like therapy going on, you know. But she just she just try to keep it logical, you know. She's she's there to check things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So very excited. Welcome Starship Therapies to the network. You'll see um, all their posts uh, on the GT forum, and yeah, check them out where you check out all your podcasts. Uh, You'll be hearing more about them soon. And and actually, uh, those of us that are going to Comic-Con are going to meet up with uh, Justine there. She's going to be there at the, at the meet and greet, which reminds me, if you're going to San Diego Comic-Con, uh, definitely f- go to the Facebook group. There is an event there. And everybody that RSVPs uh, want to coordinate a, a meet and greet while we're there. Uh, Lara is in charge of that. What? How's that going, Lara? Yeah, yeah. We talked about this.
2: No, you just put me in charge of it just now. Okay. No,
0: well, I told you, you you and your wife have to, like, arrange it and take care of it. We talked about this like, two nights ago.
2: You said you you asked for help, Hosplay. You asked for help.
0: Okay, well, well you're in charge. <laughs> Comic-Con's going to be great. All right, so... For today's topic is uh, something that has come up multiple times over the years, and I've never brought it up with you guys. and I don't think I've ever discussed it in detail in the on the podcast, which is basically the idea of how do you how could you possibly support geek therapy as a as a concept, like as a clinical concept? with research like how do you back that up and that is a very very complicated question and what made me think about it was two things one um a similar conversation was happening in the both on the forum and on the uh, Facebook group and then second you've all heard I'm imagining the news about Zimbardo's Stanford prison experiment and kind of this exposé that came out on Medium mm-hmm. and it is very interesting. Like there's all these recordings from people who were there and interviews that came out now saying like, oh yeah, well, you know, we were acting, I was kind of just doing what I thought that Zimbardo wanted us to do. And there's all this information that kind of makes the Stanford Prison Experiment uh, fall apart and people have different opinions about that. I have very, very strong feelings about Zimbardo in general and the Stanford Prison Experiment. And I'm curious... Um, what your reactions were uh when when you found out about this like lara have you what did you have any thoughts about this um when it came out
2: yeah um my my high school teacher uh the my psychology teacher in high school she loved zimbardo and called him her best friend phil <laughs> um and she would go she's she would go to conferences and stuff at Stanford. And so we definitely learned about the the prison experiment. And recently, she and I have connected on social media. And she was the one who actually shared the article that I read about the the kind of debunking of this experiment. And she was like, oh, man, now I'm going to have to change how I teach. And she was really disappointed. Not like that her bubble had been bursted, but like, that she felt bad about teaching all these kids about this experiment that was was essentially fake. And either way, I have I have I mean it's a horrible th- it, like the way it was described and done, if a horrible experiment did horrible things to people's psychology and their 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 inner workings, but now that we know that they were faking, I don't I don't know. I think I have a feeling about it, it's one thing for participants in a study to fake a reaction. We're supposed to expect that and, and try to kind of mediate that. But Zimbardo published this supposedly knowing that they were acting. I mean, the the video that I remember seeing in high school was the video of the guy yelling like, uh, let me out of here. I can't take it anymore. I want out. Um, and yeah. he's the one who said that it was all an act. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah, uh, yeah. It, it's kind of like you, you've learned. It's one of the things that, like, Psych 101. That's what you learn about about Zimbardo and this pre- uh, Stanford Prison Experiment. And it's kind of now with the, that's not there, and there, it's not like there's a void, but it's like all everyone that's learned it. It's like, oh. Well now we have to change our thinking about things
0: or skip that skip that part of the chapter in the, in the textbook yeah
2: yeah yeah well <laughs> and eventually take it out of the textbook
0: <laughs> yeah
1: maybe that, yeah that's the part that really concerns me about all of this is um, there there are v- probably 10 to 20 very classic studies in psychology that are taught in AP psychology classes in high school and introductory psychology classes in college. And a lot of those are fantastic stories that have counterintuitive findings. And a lot of those aspects of them make them very sticky in our memory and they, they stick with us um, for lifetimes. So uh, there's a number of these studies now that are being revisited, and they've, they've they've been found to be not exactly quite what we've been teaching people. So Stanford uh, prison study is one example. There's another study, um, the Kitty Genevieve study, the of bystander apathy, where apparently this woman was being attacked in New York City, and no one noticed. In the real history of it, it didn't quite go that way but what makes this complicated is a lot of the research that came out of it still holds up but then there's the robber's cave study of these boys at summer camp that um, got into fights with each other but this superordinate goal this shared goal is what helped them overcome their conflict that's now being criticized and revisited so the the, the thing that really bothers me about this is it'll be a long time before This is corrected in classrooms, and I think a lot of generations are still going to be learning this. They're going to see the movie that just came out recently that's based upon this, and for a long time, people are going to accept this as as fact.
0: Lauren, you're still in school. Did you cover the Sanford Prison Experiment recently?
3: Not recently. I mean, in high (laughs) school and early college, yeah, but I've known he's kind of been a turd since uh, he came out, (laughs) blaming video games uh for and porn and for, for for
0: the loss of masculinity
3: yeah for m- men yeah. being wimps or whatever it, yeah, yeah whatever i don't know i feel like the the more time i spend in school the more i come to the realization that uh pretty much everything's just fucking made up
0: <laughs> <laughs> well and and this is this is kind of part of the the conversation um, i just found out now because I still read research articles and I love to like tear them to pieces, you know, when 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 I when I have the time. <laughs> but I've never read the supposed research of the Stanford Prison Experiment and apparently there was like what was published. There was no methodology, right? right.
3: Yeah, if, no. It's a bad. It's a bad article.
1: If you read that original research paper, yeah, it, mm-hmm. it doesn't hold up to current standards of what we expect from research.
0: No, and also he declared once it was done, like no one should ever do this again, ever. This was bad. <laughs> Never do it again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's like, hmm. Well, now it's like, oh, really? Well, why? Why? Why was that?
1: How was that, Phil? I, I do. It's. With a lot of these historical figures in psychology, I've, I've got such complicated feelings about them. Um, uh, Marty Seligman, just in his most recent book, he talked about how he um, he completed his PhD in like two years or something like that. And uh, I'm just thinking about people who were subject to very different standards in their education, in publication of their research, and are now in very powerful positions over graduate students who are subject to very, very different standards. Um, And I don't know. um, There's a lot of good things that Zimbardo did do. He uh, he brought psychology to a lot of people. His Discovering Psychology video series, it's like still used in a lot of classrooms. Um, I I think a lot of the stuff he said after the Iraq prison abuse was right on about – how people are more likely to do heinous things when there's anonymity, when it's nighttime, when there isn't a lot of oversight. And at the same time, he does say these things about porn, about video games, about blaming things that may or may not have a consensus in the research. So, I don't know. A lot of these historical figures, um, I, I think in some ways they're they're a little out of touch.
0: I went to take some uh, f- Psychoanalytic training, b- very basic stuff. But they were even there, they were like, yeah, you know, like we don't really agree with Freud all that much anymore. <laughs> like he mm-hmm. created all this stuff, but like we've moved way beyond that, right? Because the research continues, right? Like even, even a bad experiment can lead to very important findings when people try to, when people dig into it, when people try to replicate it. And this is like, I've, I've read it both ways, replicability or reproducibility. Do people say it both ways?
1: Yeah. yeah, I yeah. think so.
0: Yeah, right? Yeah. Right? Like psychology has a, or, or science in general has a reproducibility crisis, right? Like you take, you, someone does one experiment and then the idea is like, good research. Like you go, somebody else does it again and then you start proving these theories like, you know, they're, they're, they're stronger because, oh, like, yeah, multiple times, multiple studies have shown the same thing. Again, this is one example of one of those things where somebody was like, nope, don't do this. But- the understanding that we have from this experiment, like correct me if I'm wrong, right? But the idea is that uh, if you put people in a really bad situation, they will behave badly, basically, right? With, you can like manipulate the the environment in a way that you can then lead people to do things that they usually wouldn't well,
1: do. Well, roles are roles are powerful, is was the outcome of that study or at least the the big conclusion is the roles that you are thrust into have a large impact on how you act
0: yeah both things right yeah right and and so okay so the so the role thing right it's like okay so we're taking that 100 percent. that's exactly what it is um and now like sometimes it's just like it's too late right it's like we people still quote freud about things like it was a relationship with your mother and shit like that you know when we've moved so far beyond that. And yeah, this is, this is going to have a, an effect for a, for a very, very long time. Some of these things are very influential. I,
1: I think that happens more in psychology than it does in some other fields. Like you do learn about luminaries in other fields and maybe classic uh, experiments in biology. Um, who was it? Uh, Frick and who discovered DNA? I, I'm blanking on their names. Frick and someone, I think.
3: It's Crick and Watson.
1: Craig and Watson, not Frick. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. When
3: he said Frick, I wanted to be
0: like...
1: Frick and Morty. <laughs> Rick and Morty who discovered DNA, yes. Um, we all know their classic study. Now, like psychology seems to be so much more biased towards these historical figures and historical studies than a lot of other fields. And uh, I'm not quite sure why that is. But it is one of these things that keeps us so stuck in the past when the field has moved so far forward. Whatever subfield of psychology you take, it is so far beyond those historical figures.:
0: yeah, I used to I used to make this argument much more eloquently. I, I'm not sure I have the words right now, but you know a lot of people argue that psychology isn't a real science, and I don't agree with that. But I understand where it's coming from because a lot of the stuff that happens, it's like uh, sometimes I see psychology as like applied philosophy, right? It's like, well, I have this theory about how things work. And then you just kind of, it's based on more on observation. Then it's such a different science, right? And the way you prove things is so, so difficult in, in comparison. And then 2018, now we take into consideration neuroscience and we take into consideration so many different things instead of just behavioral observation, which is the world that Zimbardo was in, right? When when he did this study.
1: I mean, I, I think it, a lot of this comes down to psychology being such a young science. I mean, it wasn't Wilhelm Wundt um, was considered to be the father of experimental psychology like in the late 1800s. Um, so we're not even talking about a science that's um, more than 150 years old. So it's, it's really in its infancy if you compare it to things like biology or chemistry or physics.
2: Well, even then, you look at medical science and it spews out some stuff that isn't accurate or contradictory um, findings. I mean, somehow we got the idea that vaccinations cause autism, which is totally not true. Medicine also can cause or put out these horrible, inaccurate, inaccurate things, ideas.
3: Science is an ever expanding horizon, not a point that we are aiming
1: for. That sounds nice. (laughs) An ever expanding horizon sounds like a beautiful sunset.
0: Yeah, yeah, it sounds wonderful. Uh, But yeah, there's so many, we have to deal with so many uh, problems along the way. Oh, man. Yeah, I mean, but again, like if it, I think psychology has um, not only is it young, but it's because of the way that it's it's done, right? So much of it is observation and self-report. Yeah, like for the autism ar- argument, you can you can you can run some tests at the biological level, right? And psychology, it's it's a little more difficult, or a lot more difficult. I
1: think it's super more difficult. Well, behavior is complicated, <laughs> and there's a lot of variables that are involved in why people do what they do.
0: Including biological and medical reasons, oh, absolutely. right? Mm-hmm.
1: Absolutely, don't usually consider. Absolutely, and when the more control you have on an experiment in psychology, the less applicable it is to everyday life, and that's the constant tension: is you, you can create a really good controlled experiment, but then that laboratory environment looks nothing like your everyday uh, world, so. That's a tension that psychology is always going to be struggling with, um, and maybe one day we'll have better forms of measuring behavior and and mental process. But it's um, it's complicated, and if it's complicated, people are going to get different results, even if they're running the same experiment.
0: So, bringing it back to the geek therapy idea, over the like, I started the geek therapy website when I was a mental health. Counseling intern, right? That was the field that I was in, and I was speaking to psychologists and therapists about using geek culture in therapy. Over the years, I've evolved, and I've I've, uh, in in that, and I've and that I've talked about it in a more general sense in education, in general social work, not clinical, you know, in in all these different areas. And I've talked to people in different fields and different helping professions who all do similar things, but it's not mental health clinical work. And I love that because. To me, like the the ideas that I originally or came up with, or the things that I was doing in practice, in clinical practice, were very very specific and very intentional. And I had kind of a, a system that I was working with. But ultimately, I've come to see it as more of a mindset. And every single person I've spoken to, who like can relate right to the term geek therapy. Uh, does it very differently. I'm sure that Ali, what you do and Lara, what you do is completely different than what I did. Yet there are so many similarities. So I've thought about in the past when people have asked me, like, how can you back up what you're saying? How do you know that what you're saying is effective? Man, that's like a really hard question. Have either of you ever come across that?
1: Yeah, I think that question comes up a lot. Uh, In our clinic, uh, we have about, oh, I would say if you combine the staff as well as our trainees, we have around 10 clinicians in our clinic and we primarily treat anxiety and anxiety-related disorders. But within our clinic, I'm sort of known as the, quote, geek psychologist. And so anyone who has an interest in geeky-related things, those patients get funneled to me because I... The the presumption is that I know how to work with people um, and all of that, but I've had that question come up. What do you actually do with these people? And what I tell them is I'm, I'm doing the same cognitive behavioral therapy that you are. Um, which is largely exposure-focused, helping people to be able to face situations that they're afraid of and then learn from them and develop a more flexible, healthy, realistic way of seeing these situations, right? That's good old-fashioned exposure therapy for anxiety disorders in a nutshell. But the way I do it is probably a little bit different. And what I explain to people is uh, I try to understand the um, the stories the ideas, the things that my uh, clients love, the things that they spend so much of their day dreaming of, engaged in, talking about, playing with, all of that sort of stuff. And then I tried to take the ideas from those things, the concepts from those, and use those as a bridge to the therapeutic work we're going to be doing. And the more I do that, the more I'm building the relationship, which has been found to be one of the most important form uh, most important variables across different types of therapy, but especially exposure therapy. You can't you can't ask someone to face some of their fears if they don't trust you if they don't um, if they're not aligned with you. So it builds the relationship number one and number two, it helps the person to understand what we're doing. So if, if they're a, a Whovian, um I might... Uh, watch a little clip with them of the episode where uh, the 12th doctor talks about how anxiety is rocket fuel and it gets you ready to tackle fear. We might do something like that. Or if it's uh, someone's a Star Wars fan, we might talk about um, how the Jedi use the force and how um, when they use the force, they're so present in the moment. Um, So, it's really about, about that. And once I explain it In that terminology, and I link it to what has been shown in research to make therapy more effective, people seem to get it.
0: Yeah and what you're describing is pretty much what we've been talking about this show for like 8 years now right right um with with different people and like if you want specific examples listen to season 2 which was just me and Lara every single episode bringing up multiple examples within geek culture different stories and just like going at how it might work with someone, how we might work with someone uh, who was interested in that or who saw that story and, and what kind of insights they might get from it and and how we might work with it. But I, but I get that question, right? Like, Oh, so what do you do? So sometimes like, Oh, I, I go through the same process. I'm like, Hey, uh, my clinical training is in rational, emotive behavioral therapy. I'm like very strictly in that camp. That is like the way I conceptualize my cases. That is how I work with my clients that is the worldview that I come into therapy with, and that's how I work with with my clients. But then again, like I've started using that word mindset uh, lately, and like mm. I recently read uh, Carol Dweck's uh, book on mindset, and there are lots of examples there of research that supports what she's saying about mindset, right? but I think that she's like taking what other people did and then she's calling it a mindset or she's like, Oh, like you see what, what they did here. That's what they're like. They called it this, but it's really a mindset. And I've had multiple people come to me over the years wanting to research it and research this in some way. And I've always hesitated to do it because I don't think, I don't think that the geeky part is the, the forefront of it. I think it's like you have a clinical foundation first and then you kind of put the geek culture on top of it.
2: Yeah, it's 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 like a it's like a filter. Yeah. I work doing behavioral modification uh, with with mostly aggressive or or like defiant behaviors sometimes with more uh self-injurious behaviors. And I think one of the things that's really helpful is there's these you can you can find anywhere. You can find like worksheets, CBT worksheets on anger management and all these other things. And that's a lot of what my work is. I also do a lot of like in the moment kind of like correction of behavior when I'm in the house with the families or even in the community. And when you can put a filter of something that the kid is into, whether it's sports or it's superheroes you can put it on that they understand the material better I will be in some of my work in the group home I'll work with a kid I'll I'll witness an interaction between the kid and a staff member and there's this power struggle and this like the kid starts going off cursing at him whatever and later we'll go back and debrief and I'll be like okay so Uh, in this particular case I think the kid liked uh, Wonder Woman so I'm like okay so what do you think she would have done in that situation we we go play by play of what happened and what would she have done in this situation do you think she would have you know gone up and gotten his face that kind of thing or maybe she would have tried to figure out what was going on in the moment and like listen first before then reacting that kind of thing and I usually get pretty good results when when it's something that they that they like. I've also done like introducing new stories to other to other clients. Um, usually, when I terminate with a client, uh, I give them a uh, a graphic novel as a as a transitional object. Usually, it has to do with something that um, we've worked on throughout uh, our time. I've gotten like contact later from some of these kids and like, oh, that was really awesome. And they would go about talking about the story like, I really like how they did this in the story. I never would have thought of it that way. It's it's a really cool to introduce kids to new things that you think they might like, As but you have to get in there and like already know kind of where, where they're at and what they like.
0: We've partnered with TeePublic to sell Geek Therapy merch. On our store, you'll find t-shirts, stickers, mugs, tote bags, cell phone cases, and a lot more. With exclusives like our Comic-Con is My Therapy and Media Matters designs. You'll also find merch for all of our podcasts, but some of our favorite designs from other designers on TeePublic. Visit geektherapy.com store to see everything we're offering. Designs will come and go, so let us know if there's anything you want that isn't there now. Suggestions and fan art are always welcome. Again, visit geektherapy.com store to get some GT merch. One thing that we haven't covered uh here is that the media itself, I think does a lot on its own, even mm-hmm. without us. That's been always part of what what I've been talking about mm-hmm. and my guess is that Lauren, you can probably speak to this more than than we can is like the effect of the that the me- that media can have on people on its own is is pretty powerful
3: yeah i mean there there's a couple of different frameworks through which you can look at it, but um, I definitely feel that. The sort of foundation here is is narrative. We are storytelling creatures and we want to tell stories to each other and about each other and about ourselves. And, um, you know, a lot of the media we consume, comic books and TV shows and movies, they're really good stories. So it's really easy to, to connect ourselves into that.
0: Yeah. Gaming is a big part of, of this community also. And I I didn't used to use this terminology, but now, now I do thanks to um, Adam and Adam over at uh, Game to Grow are really the ones that got me uh, using this terminology is applied video games. So now I'm like applied comics, applied movies, right? It's like we're using <laughs> this in a in very intentional um, application.
3: Yeah, totally.
0: I think I've always been like... I don't know how to go about exactly like I've never wanted to define what geek therapy is again right now geek therapy is a community, uh, call it a brand, call it a whole bunch of things, right? It is a lot of things. To me, it is a mindset, but for a lot of people, it is what they do at work, right? It is their practice. And I've never wanted to define that because I think that people do it so differently. And I don't know how you would, I don't know where to start other than like Ali, you mentioned, and right? it's like, well, there is research that talks to us about like rapport building, right? And I I know that, you know, you can talk about like narrative therapy concepts, right? right? And then Lauren, you just mentioned different frameworks, right? From media that already tell us like, oh, like people react really well to this or this or they they have emotional reactions to that or they feel you know whatever. And then you can you can kind of pull all those things together.
3: it also connects to to the the medium itself, right? It's like different uh, you'll get different impacts from a movie than like a radio show than you know a community theater performance. Like they can all be impactful. In, in different ways and, and impact an individual in, in really personal ways. But um, it, the media through which you were receiving it also impacts how, how you uh, interact with it.
1: And uh, this is, uh, I'm going to say something yeah. that's a little controversial here, which is, I, I kind of wish geek therapy didn't need to exist. And the reason for that is, to me, this is just like a no, no brainer. This is just how Everyone should be in the therapy world. We should all try to understand what do the people we work with love and then how can we use that to help them Mm -hmm. move forward on their goals that's how a lot of teachers should work is what is the knowledge base that my students have right now and how can i use that to bridge them to the new information i want them to learn and if you look at the research on collaborative learning and a lot of the more evidence based forms of teaching that's that's what it's all about so it part of me gets Upset when people are like, whoa, that's so cool that you're doing that. I'm like, this is what we should all be doing. I, I don't, this is, this should be like therapy 101. And I think that's part of the problem here too is we don't have, um, if you think about going to see a doctor, uh, we've all had that experience since we were newborns. We might not remember it, but most of us go grow up going to a pediatrician. We kind of know what to expect. Those memories are formed in our head. We have a lot of expectations about what it's like to get uh, medical treatment from a physician or from a nurse, things like that. But a lot of people don't have that story in their head about how it's, um, what it's like to work with a therapist. And so we have to do a little bit of extra work to help people understand what, are, what we are doing and how to help them reach their goals. So I think it's, it, it bugs me that this is so needed. And I also understand the need because um, therapy for a lot of people is just not a part of their everyday life.
0: You know, but I mean, I've had clients who I'm, I'm doing my, my geek therapy thing with them. And then they're like, why are we talking about this bullshit? Like, I want to talk about just my problem, just this, and I want to find a solution. And I had enough clients like that to really, like, it really shaped the way I I thought about a lot of things. But, man, like, therapy is going to get so much better in the future. Let's put it that way, right? Because it is slow. It is, like, I feel it's inefficient. I feel that all these models that we go by, like, going one hour a week is, like, not really... The best way to do things, and we work within those constructs. Like lara Even has way more. That's not what
2: I do. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was
0: about to say lara is like lives in another world, right? Where where kids are in your care for, uh, and and your whole for team anywhere right? from
2: like anywhere from like three to to fifteen hours a week.
0: Yeah. For yeah. for
2: six months to a year. Um, And
0: and as someone who, like, led teams who did intensive in-home therapy and were, like, involved in everybody's business and doing things, you know, on multiple levels, like, I think that those, there's so much potential there to benefit our clients faster and and in, like, a more holistic way. But the truth is, like, most systems aren't like that. Like, the system you're in, Ali, is, like, very, you come to my office however many times a week an hour, I'm guessing, right? It's very...
1: It is, but I'm a big exposure guy. So, most of my patients and I spend a lot of time outside of the office um, practicing the stuff they learned in in the neighborhood where I practice. But you're right. In general, um, the medical center I work in is more traditional. You're outpatient or you're inpatient. I think one of the most exciting things happening in the world of therapy is more integrated care. Yeah, absolutely. Where you have... um, Teams of people working together and maybe you go see the behavioral expert for 10 minutes and they give you some suggestions on how to improve your sleep and then you come back in three days and if it didn't get better then you meet for half an hour and if that doesn't help then maybe you come back in a week but you're meeting for an hour so I, I think there are new models that are pretty effective and more cost effective um, but they are definitely the rarity they're they're yeah. not the norm
0: and so like your comments about like how oh well you know I wish like geek therapy didn't exist right I, tot- like, I totally get that and every time anybody uh, tells me like that's so cool I'm like really is it though like I'm just being like
1: it, I, I it couldn't do it just- be the norm,
0: yeah. Well, well, and not that it, it should be the norm, yeah. but I like just the idea of it. I'm like, well, I I couldn't do it any other way, right? Like, I I literally fought with all of my supervisors to do it this way because I couldn't possibly do it any other way. If I wasn't speaking my client's language, I didn't want to do this. Like, I was I was just being like like a robot, you know? Like, I it, I couldn't be me, and that's why when a lot of especially students or or recent graduates come to me and they're like well i want i want to learn how to do it and then it gets funny because over the years i've 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 developed kind of more of a model to help people answer that question like where to get started and how to do it because again like you can i think we've talked a lot about using people's interests but i think that it's also very powerful to use the professional's interest, right? And that's where it's like, you know, if you go to a, a, whether it's a speech therapist, an occupational therapist, or even a teacher who's like really into one thing, they can explain the world to you through a completely different lens. And even if you don't know what they're talking about, like there's so much that can happen there versus the professional having to conform to what's in the book, for example. And they can create new opportunities for learning and for growth, But then, like, if you combine the two, that's, like, that's perfect, right? If you have a Star Trek fan, Ali, it's, like, this is, like, almost too easy. So easy.
1: So easy. (laughs) But, uh, you know, I I love what you said about speaking uh, your client's language because I'll often get people who are hockey fans um, or football fans, and I'm not really too into sports um, anymore. I um, just recently was working with someone who was really into the World Cup, and I wasn't following it, but I, I... Make it my responsibility to understand enough so we can have that conversation using their language. And then always, always, always ask that very important question. What is it about this that you love? Help me understand um, what this means to you. like. I don't make an assumption that I know why they like it. And I don't make an assumption that they like it, even if they're a Trekkie, that they like it for the same reasons I like it. That is a very dangerous path. But it is about speaking their language and truly interpreting and understanding where they're coming from.
2: I think that's important. I went to a recent training where this woman was telling her story of doing a case presentation. And she's working with like a... A younger, a younger girl, like six or seven, and um, this girl loved My Little Pony, and just always wanted to play with these My Little Pony toys. And she said, "Okay, well, she's going to play some because, you know, that's how she's trying to communicate." But after a while, she got sick of the, the My Little Pony every session, every session. So she tried to introduce another kind of intervention, like making paper dolls or something. Mm. And it worked, but it took a really long time. And I was thinking, you know, if you just really tried to get into, like, understanding what this little girl was trying to communicate with these ponies who are perfect because there's different emotions and different aspects for each one of the characters. You could have learned so much more and gotten there so much quicker if you just, like, were willing to watch an episode and right, like find out right, what, right, the, right. what what was in this girl's world <laughs> because you introduce these paper dolls and it may work but it's gonna take you six months to get it to when she can just be like she was really excited about these these ponies like I just, I have a hard, like, I understand we're not all going to like what our clients like. Totally. Some of the things they do or they like are going to drive us crazy, right. but it's your job to try and figure it out. <laughs> right. And like, and it's a little kid. It's a little kid.
0: Well, and and a lot of people disagree on that on that point, especially older people with a mm-hmm. very different, uh, <laughs> I'd yeah. say classical uh, training. But, uh, you know, the whole idea of this, this podcast and the whole network really is to kind of open people's minds to those ideas, right? To kind mm-hmm. of, to think differently and to include the things that we care about. Because again, we're talking about stuff that we care about and and we talk to our, with our clients about things that they care about. But, and, and there have been, so this is an attempt to like open a conversation, right? To hopefully at least get people thinking about it in a different way and maybe learn a little bit from how we've done it. Patrick O'Connor and I co-developed a college course at the Chicago School of Professional Psychology called Geek Culture and Therapy, where we took the things that we think about, right? And, you know, uh, Lara and I have joked on this podcast a lot about how um, he created this model, but it was all superhero comics. Mm-hmm. And my argument with him was always like, there's more in the world than superhero comics, right? <laughs> like, that's not going to work in every instance. And I think we created a very, very cool course that covered a lot of the stuff that we're talking about. But I can teach people to do anything. I really like what Lauren said uh, at one point which may be the title of this episode is like people are just making stuff up mm-hmm. <laughs> like, like the truth is like at some point like I don't have the research to back it up so I want to ask you guys do you think and I want to start with you Lauren like hearing you've heard us the three of us talk about what we do and the way we kind of see the world do you think it's possible to like research this stuff in a way that could back up what we're saying
3: um Yes, and no.
0: Cool, cool. That's my cop out. <laughs> well, that's my it answer is. too.
2: I'm, I'm
3: sorry. It, People are just making stuff I, up. Lauren's just making stuff up. Yeah, yeah. That's it's true. That's sort of how I feel. Is like there. There's certainly ways we could attempt to measure the benefit of of geek therapy, but there's you know there's not a a sweat gland tied to it that we can we can focus on it it's we're, we're very complicated beings and and we exist within cultures and contexts and you know the media we consume, even is like you can't say like everything that was made in 2018 is the framework for understanding the brain of a you know a person living in 2018 because not everybody consumes the same stuff. So it's like it it would it would get really nitty gritty, dirty research real quick if you tried <laughs> to do it. So you're you're mostly sort of trapped to self-report. And, and surveys like that, which, which is useful and, and can certainly tell you something, but it, it's not the same sort of like, you know, pharmaceutical treatments, you know, versus uh, double blind placebo effect trials and stuff like that. It, 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 yeah,
0: When we talk about gaming research, I I love it how we can just like tear it apart because we're asking all the questions like, well, you know, what controller were they using and what difficulty Mm -hmm. and like, what were these settings Mm -hmm. at, you know, and like, what level were they playing and like, what what kind of experience do they have? What other games do they play, you know? I, I would even go as far as like you know what frame per, per second are we on like how big is the screen like there's all these different factors you know yeah. what's, what's the sound system like all these things affect the person's experience and like you don't you don't even see a tenth of that information in a lot of these um, research articles and I feel the same way about like like first of all defining geek therapy at all right in any way like I think it would be very specific it would be like you know like Dr. Ali Matthew's, you know research into using Star Trek season one episode <laughs> mirror mirror to discuss blah, blah 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 it would have to be like super specific right and then you'd have to have like only ali do like all the research or have like train multiple people to do it the same way and like not everybody like not every trekkie's the I same i don't think know? i've like, ever brought
1: I, up mirror mirror in any therapy episode or therapy session ever <laughs> but uh no you're well, totally episode. <laughs> therapy episode. <laughs> welcome to a new episode of therapy with me. Is that how you start every session? I, yes, it is. Um, it is. That's contractually awesome. how my my sessions begin. I like um, your
0: employer. I like your employer.
1: <laughs> Lauren is completely right because this is so individualized that it would be so difficult to standardize in any type of research trial. Um, I'm just thinking about Trekkie patients that I've had And the way we've tailored therapy to fit them, it's been so different just within the group of Trekkies. Because even there, you have so much diversity in terms of what series people like, what characters they like, what storylines they like. Someone might like Picard for one reason and someone might like Picard for a completely different reason. It is so hard to predict why someone likes something and what resonates with them that i've i've completely given up on trying to predict any of that so to try to standardize that stuff so you get that good laboratory controlled research would be impossible
0: okay well that's that's kind of what i thought yeah
3: if if i was if i was going to make a study to try and and measure the efficacy of geek therapy i would I would survey – I would find therapists that that would, like, claim to use geek therapy, and then I would survey their clients on how um, connected they felt to their therapist, and then I would compare that to people who were like, oh, I would never talk about media with my my therapist. We only talk about my mother. I would never talk about a TV (laughs) show. I don't even bring up Westworld once like and then compare the surveys from those two groups as basically like do you feel closely connected to your therapist because that's kind of what you know from this long conversation we've had I kind of feel like that's the heartstring of geek therapy is it's it's bringing you closer and you're connecting on on a different level outside of purely therapeutic it's like we're both human beings who consume content and isn't that cool how we can connect on that level too
0: which is like One of the reasons why I wish there was uh, more research is so people wouldn't describe it as like what you just said. Because that sounds very, it's probably very accurate. But at the same time, it doesn't sound uh, scientifically sound. And when I hear people like, oh, you know, that's just a gimmick. (laughs) No, no, it's it's,
3: it's (laughs) survey. It's survey shit. This is people talking about their feelings. But that is therapy, right? Sort of.
1: (laughs) You can do a controlled trial here. You could you could have uh one group that is getting quote unquote whatever geek therapy is, um, and you can have another group where it's uh treatment as usual and you could have a controlled group where you talk about media but you're not getting the therapy and you could look to see if there's efficacy differences there if if any of those conditions are more effective than others but good luck trying to standardize whatever protocol you're going you're going to do it's going to be
0: complete. But, but then it's like but that's not it also right it's like like we we all admitted that we do a certain type of therapy like we have clinical training and then yeah
1: in addition to that yeah oh that's what i'm saying like you You'd have to standardize that as well. And then the conditions and all. I'm I'm wondering if there's any research in the world of um, integrating religion into therapy. Because I I think that's an interesting parallel here where there, um, for most major religions, there is some uh, sacred texts. There are stories. There are values. There are regular community events. And I, I know there's a lot of therapists who don't weave in their clients' religions into therapy either. And they're um, probably more anxious to bring up some of that stuff than than they are with, with the things we talk about. But
0: yeah, religion is something that um, me and Kuniak, uh, Steve Kuniak, have been talking about for a while now. Because I think it's the closest parallel mm-hmm. to like... People who are who identify as religious, right, or belong to a religion, like I think they're the closest thing to what we describe in geek culture. You know, people who are like these stories mean something to us, and these stories that like, we learn from them, or we identify with the characters, and that like they shape our worldview. I think that's you know like the parallel, and there's definitely a lot to gain from there. Yeah.
2: In my graduate work, we did a lot of talking about religion and everybody in my classes would like shy away from it and would not want to talk about it. And it, to be honest, to be honest with my, um, in my thesis, which is a case conceptualization, we have to write at least two pages on how we would use spirituality with a client. That was the hardest section for me to do. But part of our work was to focus on bringing in the client's spirituality, no matter what it was into uh, treatment and so, I, I snuck in some geek therapy into that section. Oh, <laughs> uh, yeah. And it passed muster and I passed my thesis. So, <laughs> you know,
1: <laughs>
2: it's something that people like, it, it's very touchy. Everybody has their their thing. And you don't know if your religion is going to, to as a therapist, is going to line up with with the client. And it shouldn't have to. We're supposed to be semi-neutral and, and we do bring our own stuff into the room but it, i don't know it, yeah, you're right hosue yeah. it, it is a comparable thing <laughs> like there's people that love star wars and are so like forget star trek and star trek people are like what about i hate star wars and then there's people that love them both and some people that don't like either i
0: yeah so. it, it took me till like when i was like 30 years old to be like oh yeah this is what my grandma does every time i talk to her she mm-hmm. brings up a story from the bible And then it tries to connect it to the real world.
1: (laughs) I think the research on sacred values is really interesting here. How humans can find ideas or stories or objects or land and um, sanctify them. And once they're seen as being sacred, a very different way of thinking and different standards is applied to them. So families who for whom um the uh, the farmland uh, is considered sacred and they won't sell it for any money because it's it's something that's just uh, so so important to them for for some of us, um, we have that with religion. And for some of us, we have that with something that's been passed down in the family, some kind of heirlooms. Um, for some of us, it's Star Trek. And for some of us, it's Star Wars. And for some of us, it's only a certain type of Star Trek. And the new J.J. J. Abrams films, the Kelvin timeline, that is um, – it's it's blasphemy. So, I, I think it, it a lot of this comes down to really understanding what is – sacred for your patient, your clients, the people you work with, What what is so important to them, what is so near and dear to their heart and understanding that intimately understanding that? And is there any way that that can help us to move them forward on their goals? I think that's what a lot of this comes down to.
0: Yep. But it's also not all of it, right? Because sometimes you can just like make therapy more fun, you know, by, I don't know, including games or the same thing like a class or something like that, right? right. There's so many different components, right? Like just, just what you said about, well, it's exposure therapy, so we should probably leave this office and go, you know, do some exposure therapy, you know, it's like, well, that's, that's more than just being in, in an office that adds a whole other element to it. And maybe the person doesn't like that has nothing to do with like interest, right?
1: It's probably the opposite, right? They don't want to go do that thing that you're going to do. And sometimes it does. Sometimes we go to Midtown Comics and they have to strike up a conversation because they have social anxiety and this lower on their fear hierarchy. And this is where we're getting started. Um, and then sometimes it's a reward for completing all of your exposures. We get to go to Midtown Comics and have a little bit of fun. Um, yeah, you're right. It's, it's not just the deep, dark, sacred, let's understand this like moment. And sometimes it's just about hey, did you catch Westworld last night? Like, whoa, what do you think of that finale? Um, Sometimes it's as simple as that. So, this gets me all back to it's very hard to standardize what the heck this is besides just trying to understand what your patients like and what they care about.
0: And so I want to hear what listeners think, um, especially people from different professions. You know, like like I really wanted to know what Lauren thought. And people make stuff up is like the perfect way to sum this up. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, and I, I definitely want to hear people from from different professions who who identify with what we're talking about, but are doing it in different fields. And I don't know that I want to keep having this conversation because it's going to come up often. And actually, I want to bring up two things from from the forum. Uh, the the conversation that kind of uh, sparked this episode is, is titled on the forum, uh, fandom meaning and logo therapy. And this is a conversation that started in the Facebook group. And I asked her to please move it to the forum because good luck finding it in the Facebook group. Uh, So hopefully we can continue to have that. I'll put a link to that um, topic in the show notes and another cool, um, Another cool topic on the forum is cooperative video games to use in session with clients. And that is someone in the group who is starting to do, it sounds like she's doing um, in homework, and she's working with kids who play video games. So she really wanted to know recommendations from the community. And there's a lot of good recommendations there. Very cool, everybody has different reasons, right? Some of them are more like like I'm coming at it more from like you know, like well, what do they like? What do they have already?" And other people are like, "No, these games are great for these very specific themes or ideas that you want to work through or even specific behaviors. So I'll put a link to those two. If you haven't joined the forum yet, definitely do that at forum.geektherapy.com. And so to wrap up, I want to do a a, a geek therapy segment as we usually do. When we say geek therapy as as a segment, it means something in the, that was therapeutic in the most general sense, something that either helped you get through uh, something tough during, during the week or something that just made you feel good. It could be something that happened for you or something for somebody else. Uh, who has one that wants to start at the ready?
1: I got a quickie. I okay. have a quick one. Uh, So my wife was a huge fan of Anne of Green Gables growing up, Um, the books and the original. I think it was a Canadian miniseries. Um, Anyways, uh, if you didn't know, uh, Netflix came out with a uh, series as well. It's called Anne with an E. That came out last year and I've been half watching it with my wife. Um, so that's part one of the geek therapy is uh, having the social experience of getting to watch something that she is super geeky about. And she loses her mind over in, in a very good way. I, I, I love that. Um, and number two is they have really made this new series um more progressive and more diverse and inclusive than the original was, so I love seeing that um, better representation. I think there's um, there's a gay character, there's a black character. None of that <laughs> existed in the original, so uh, that's pretty cool to see. So that's Anne with an E.
0: Cool, Lauren, do you have
3: one? Uh, I'm I'm just gonna say Steven Universe again because I'm still riding high on those last couple of episodes. <laughs>
0: I just rewatched them yesterday. Yeah, I, I, I rewatched like, I, I with re-watch some yeah, with yeah.
3: some friends who hadn't watched the the last two, and we rewatched those. I'm just, I got wet eyes. Yeah,
0: yeah. so good, so good. So good. Offer up the tissues.
3: I, uh, I, I'm trying to I'm trying to workshop how I can fit uh, some of that into my maid of honor speech for my sister's wedding this fall. <laughs> do it <And> <laughs> like, do it I'm just gonna I'm just gonna steal Steven Universe songs as my speech yeah.
0: just direct yeah <laughs> yep <laughs> <laughs> this sounds good Lara
3: so
2: also Steven Universe cause of course it's amazing um but my co-worker my co-worker is really into harry potter like she has harry potter everything and this week we found out when harry potter and the cursed child is coming to the san francisco bay area and i was like i'm gonna get on the mailing list she's like me too we gotta text each other as soon as we know when tickets are so we were just hyping it up the whole time and um like all day at work that's all we talked about Forget work. That's all we did. Um, so I was really excited about
0: that because
2: um, I, I love but, me some. But Harry you should Potter.
0: also work. You should also do your work. No. <laughs> okay.
2: No. <laughs> this is all day in the office, not with a client.
0: <laughs> gotcha, gotcha,
1: Laura. Well, I'm gonna have to correct you. It's actually pronounced Eripata. You gotta you gotta get the pronunciation right. Do
0: you, you want me know. to leave that in, Ali? Do you want me to leave <laughs> that in the, That is that, that, was, was, that was a really a bad accent? attempt. That offen- that a- offensive <laughs> attempt at a British accent? It's
1: very accurate. Um, I've I've read I've read everything. I'm pretty sure that's how it's. Pronounced.
0: You got the accent from, from reading book. From the,
1: books? the book. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Because okay. if
0: I, we'll if I got in.
2: the
3: pronunciation of Hermione <laughs> from the book, because I'd never oh, seen I that to- name before, I totally it been called so so her different. Hermione in my head for a really long time. <laughs>
1: me too. Me Herbie too. <laughs> Hermione. I called her
3: Hermione. she was still a boss, though, okay? I was all on her team.
1: You're like, Hermione is the best. Yeah. <laughs> and then you see yeah. the movie
3: and you're like oh i think an adult explained it to me finally and i'm like well that's fair i guess
1: <laughs> i grew up thinking the state of arkansas was pronounced arkansas so you know that's legit
3: that.
0: it
2: is how it's it a lot of kids yeah
1: some people still yeah, pronounce yeah english yeah. is hard I- english does not make sense
0: I wonder how many girls were named Hermie 1 before the movies came out. <laughs> <laughs> like, just really big fans of the book. Just like, Oof. okay.
3: <laughs> oh, boy.
0: <laughs> um, um, Well, uh, mine uh, was I finally saw Ant-Man this week, and I waited. I didn't see it opening day because my mom wanted to go see it. So you know, this is kind of a follow-up to what I told you, like my mom watched every single movie leading up to Infinity War. She, she got really, really into it. And she was like, oh, the new one coming out, like we have to go watch it. And I love that she's like, she knows you got to stay till the end. You know, Mm -hmm. my stepfather tried to get up. She's like, no, 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 no. What are you doing? (laughs) What are you doing? We got to see the scenes at the end. Come on. That was uh, a lot of fun uh, just to like, we, we never did that until Infinity War. Like, all these other movies, we saw them. I saw them on my own. I'd never seen these movies with my mom. This is like a huge deal. I love this. Can't wait for Captain Marvel. <laughs> and uh, the other thing this week, which has been amazing to watch, is uh, I've talked about this game in the past, but Disney Emoji Blitz, it's a mobile game. Check it out, play it, friend me on Facebook so we can compare scores. But my <laughs> sister started playing. And then she got me into it. And then I got my mom into it. And then we got our dad into it. And my mom and dad are divorced. And they became friends on Facebook just to like compare uh, scores. (laughs) And my dad started almost a year later. (laughs) And he passed my sister. He passed me. I'm the one that's farthest behind. Then he passed my sister in like level. And then- we started getting like these crazy high scores every week. Every week we're competing and we like you know trash talk uh, by text or, or or call each other up um, when we beat each other's scores. But then my dad, I, there's a there's um you can actually get Yen Sid as an emoji if you hit level one hundred. He's the sorcerer in the from from the Sorcerer's Apprentice in uh, in Fantasia, and so <laughs> he's like the thing to get. So we're all moving toward it and like. Everybody just surpassed me by a lot. And my mom was at level 99 and my dad got to level 100 before she did, like when she was in the middle of it. It was like this watching this like photo finish race to, to the end. It was incredible. This whole week, that's all my uh, family has been talking about. <laughs> that is
1: so much fun. <laughs> it's so great. That's a good one. That's pretty good. Oh man. So good. I
2: remember so good. when I used to try and beat your score and now I'm scared to even log in because I haven't played in like months. I'm not even going to bother.
0: I unfriended a lot of people who like their score was so far ahead of mine that I <laughs> I, I didn't want to deal with it. So wow. I unfriended them. It happens. Yeah. I
2: okay. got to get more friends so I can get the Doug emoji and then I can unfriend you.
0: Yes, <laughs> if you if you if you must. Um, all right, so Thank you for listening to GT Radio on the Geek Therapy Network. Uh, definitely check out our, our new show, Starship Therapy. Um, again, I'll put links to that in the show notes. Check out the forum. Join us on the Discord, which is always a lot of fun to discuss all sorts of different uh, things. I'm thinking of making a video that explains the difference between like the Facebook group and the Discord and the forum. They all have a very specific function. You should be in all of them. Yeah. So thank you for listening. Check out more Geek Therapy at geektherapy.com. Definitely reach out on Twitter at Geek Therapy. I'm at Josue Cardona. Ali is at Alima. Two. Lauren is at Chicken Dinosaur. And Lara is at Geek Therapy. Therapist. Thank you for listening, and we'll be back next week. You've just listened to GT Radio on the Geek Therapy Podcast Network. For more about Geek Therapy and all of our podcasts, visit geektherapy.com. And for extra content, including our monthly book club and other perks, consider becoming a member of Geek Therapy on Patreon for as little as one dollar a month at patreon.com/slash/geektherapy.